Maybe not. That's for a different time. Um, you guys are making your own stories and doing your own stupid things, having more, more fun on accident than most people do on purpose. Loving Jesus, being a part of a small group. We're reborn and raised Sam Houston Chi Alpha. We're here with our, our kiddos. So this is, oh, hey, come on. So we have twin boys that are 12. This is Liam and Jackson. And then this guy is eight. His name is Nolan. And then the littlest dude is three. His name is Owen. So they're all sitting in the back row, hanging out with mom. We'd love to give you a prayer card of our family at the end. The boys, the twins, will be handing them out in the back. We'd love to put it in your Bible or on your fridge or bulletin board. You can be praying for our family. Um, it would be our honor if you'd be praying for us. So we'd love to, to meet you in the back afterwards. Um, if you were with us last night, then we told you a little bit more of the story um, at the Middle East night. Uh, but we'd, I'll give you a quick kind of cliff's notes of how in the world did we go from a seat like yours to getting on a plane and going to a place like Iraq. Right? That's a pretty wild story. But the flyover version is that my wife, Jella, and I, we arrived at Sam Houston from very different upbringings, um, but in the same trajectory, we were hungry for God. And his meal table was discipleship. We, we ended up in a season a lot like yours, where we, are being, we were being poured into, being discipled. You know, learning deep and godly convictions and then having the privilege of turning around and pouring into others and making disciples and then them making disciples that make disciples. And somewhere in there, there's a curly, curly haired, hilarious guy named Kent and a beautiful story where then he turns around and makes more disciples than I ever could imagine. Right. Just incredible thing called discipleship that we do in Chi Alpha. It's a part of our DNA, but that's only because it's kingdom DNA. Right. We believe we believe in discipleship. So in this season, you know, in this in this incredible season, we'll go out with Johnny Houck, if you know that guy. And uh, we go, we're going to Russia, we're mountain biking and backpacking and, you know, it's in those backwoods where the, the conversation with the Lord begins when he asks, would you follow me? Anywhere. And even as a 20 year old knucklehead, that anywhere, it packed a punch, right? It was, it was an at all cost, anything. I will follow you anywhere, no matter what that means. And of course, Jella's on a similar trajectory. We end up unified. We're both praying about, Lord, where are you, where are you leading me and us? Becomes, Lord, where are you leading us to raise our, our kids and raise our, our family? And incredible season where it begins to narrow down and narrow down prayerfully going on as many trips as we could meeting reading as much as we could narrow 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 and we end up with the lord is leading our family to the middle east we want to be a part when we had no idea right we have no idea what that meant right you're like are you you know lord leads you to the middle east what do you do you're like, i don't have any idea some of our friends they introduced this they, they create this thing called live dead if you've heard of Live Dead, it's planting the church amongst unreached people groups on teams. So they created it. They were like, do you want to be a part of it? We were like, we'll pray about it. Yes, that's absolutely what we want to be a part of. And so we launched out uh, 2015. We went to Amman, Jordan, 
where we served on a, on a launch team. We were learning Arabic. We were learning opening our Bibles and real, you know, digging into why do we do what we do and the practical how do we do what we do in, in, the, in a different, very, very different culture with very different unique, unique things with different tools in our toolbox, right? Kind of figuring all that out while in that soup of trying how do we, how do we live here? How do we do this? We're also praying about what's next. Jordan is a great place in a not so great neighborhood, right? The neighborhood makes the news often, of course. And so we're praying over Israel, Palestine. We're praying over Lebanon, Jordan, Iraq. We're like, Lord, please Lebanon where there's beautiful mountains and snowboarding. And pretty early on, Iraq surfaces to the top of our kind of conversations and our prayer closets and conversations with leadership. We knit together with a family that's also going in that direction. And the next thing you know, we're here. We've just got back from three years serving in Iraq. And hey, come on, yeah, sure. For the Lord, for the Lord. You know, when we first landed in Iraq, we, we really felt like the Lord was saying, you're walking into a season of removing stones from the field. And if you've ever had any sort of farming experience, you know that that doesn't feel like farming but it's a vital part, right? You wanna be, be sowing, you wanna be reaping, stone, removing stones doesn't feel like farming, but it's, it's an important part. And so of course, you can imagine in your understanding of what Iraq is, you can, you can picture what those stones might be, right? You know, there's the superficial stuff, it's, you know, the infrastructure is crippled by 40 years of either dictatorship, war, terrorism. So the power goes out every single day. We gotta run on generator. The water can't be, you can't drink it. You can't even really bathe in it. Um, let's see, the, the temperature gets up to about 125 degrees in the summer. Yeah, for real, like it's like anything above 120, it's like an, you open an oven too quickly or a hair dryer. It's no longer refreshing. Everybody stays indoors, it's wild hot, okay? And then beneath that surface, you have all those decades compiled of distrust, right? You've got dictatorships that have fallen, terrorism, you have clan or tribal warfare, so nobody trusts anybody, really is very much like the wild, wild east. Um, and, and it's a wild, crazy time, but step by step and stone by stone, we begin the process where we're allowed to plow, we're allowed to sow, and by the time we were getting on a plane coming back here to hang out with you, we had, we had been able to reap, and we had the privilege of being a part of a small group, a small group of guys that were opening their Bibles together, Arabic Bibles, we were praying over each other in Arabic, we were worshiping in Arabic. You better believe the Holy Spirit knows Arabic. He would fall and we saw some incredible, incredible things happen. You know, those, those guys are like, that's like a high caliber, high cost Christianity. Just to get the foot in the door. You know, I got brothers that gave their lives to Jesus. Their family said, you return to being a Muslim or we'll take your life. Completely legal. So they pack a bag, they leave in the middle of the night, right? Fast forward, now that small, teeny tiny apartment with no furniture that that guy lives in, that's now our safe place that we can have a Bible study together. And they look at me and they say, man, show me what it's like to walk with God. 
And I'm like, no, dude, you show me, right? Like that's, that's high caliber, high cost Christianity. For me, man, I, for, he, he, that's a high cost foot in the door. And I was a knucklehead, right? I mean, I was sitting in your seat. We talk about salt, right? You guys going to salt? Salt is amazing. You know, one of my favorite things about salt, there's a ton of them, but one of them usually end up being the Holy Spirit room or Holy Spirit experience. You know, in our modern, you know, North American approach to church, it's like Father, Son, and the other guy. We don't really know what to do there. Um, but there's, you know, it's time set aside where we get to really dig into what does this mean, right? What does it mean? What is the Holy Spirit? What do we do with it? What does it mean in my life? You know, I'm, I'm the, the, the lead knucklehead driving the van full of other knuckleheads driving up to Salt, okay? And let's see my, the, the knuckliest of the knuckleheads. So like that, that guy whose life is completely about himself goes to the Holy Spirit experience, comes out, you know, what, however many hour later or whatever, top of his lungs, yells something I never would have expected. You guys want to know? We'll get there at the end. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you, Jesus, that you are always willing and always wanting to pour your spirit out upon us. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us the dignity of opening up our ears, our minds, our very souls to what you have to say. We thank you, Lord, that, they, that you're not distant or to be convinced or conjured, but that you are present and willing and able and wanting to speak to us. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. In each of the individuals in this room and us as a group, we ask that you'd speak to us, Jesus, because you, you, Jesus, you're worth it. We thank you, Lord, and we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So, we were on a live dead church planting team in southern Iraq. And like Kent said, a little bit too kindly, we were asked to consider transitioning towards serving and leading all of the church planting teams across Israel and Palestine. So even, even saying both of those names, right, even saying both together is controversial. It's a place marked by decades of controversy and conflict and hate and hurts from, you know, it's, it's definitely got its fair share of stones in the field, right? But as we think about it, as we dream about what God can do, what he does and is continually doing in Huntsville, Texas, through disciples, making disciples, making disciples, what he did, if he can do it in Southern Iraq, then he can do it anywhere. He can make disciples through knuckleheads like you and me. So as we think about it, we're praying for disciples. We're raising up laborers and we dream about what does it look like for the kingdom to come in Israel, Palestine. My mind wanders towards Acts 1, 6. We'll begin in 6. So thumb with me to Acts 1 and we'll start in 6. I think we got it. Yes, we... So let's start in six. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took them out of their sight. And while they were still gazing in heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Words are important, right? What we say matters. Words are important. Last words are really, really important, right? They're like, you know, this is, this is Jesus standing on earth, resurrected from death, looking at his little tribe of knuckleheads who are about to shift all of eternity by changing and shaking up the world. This is like the last line of the season finale, right? It, it's got to pack a punch. It has some sort of predictive you know, imaginative, like this is, this is what's happening. This is what's up, you know, you, you hold on, just wait, just wait. You'll, you'll see. It's the last line of the season finale and look how he encourages and equips them. You will one, receive the power of the Holy Spirit and two, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, as we think, right, as now we're, we're looking forward, we're dreaming about what God can do, we're thinking and praying and strategizing church planting teams through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, right? But if we look at this verse, there's a couple ways that people over time have unpacked this verse eight, okay? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. There's kind of two ways. You've got literal or figurative, okay? So literally the gospel will go to these places or more figuratively, kind of the way we might interpret it into our lives is maybe our, I'll reach my family and and then I'll reach my friends and, and then I'll reach my coworkers or my classmates, and then I might go to where maybe some strangers are, right? We kind of create this, this consecutive or this radius of I'll reach my Jerusalem, and then maybe Judea, and then maybe Samaria, right? But if we're honest, it's a bit of an excuse, okay? It's a bit of an excuse for us to not get out of our bubbles, If I can convince myself by adjusting my theology just a little bit, I get to keep myself in my comfort zone. I don't have to grow. I don't have to be stretched or bold or be at any sort of apostolic risk. I get to control and stay where I'm comfortable. Now, the thing that pops that bubble is that no biblical scholar would agree with the second way because it doesn't say then it says and it does not say Jerusalem then Judea and then Samaria and that right it's not then it's and it's all of it 
literally. It is Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and Huntsville and New Zealand, and, right? It's and, 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 and. It's everywhere right now. Authentic Christianity is an all hands on deck. Everybody's got to know and they got to know now. So in these, these three places, I'd love to kind of allegorically put a little bit of flesh on these bones, okay? So if you know anything about Israel and Palestine, it's a place of polarization, really, really different people in a very, very close proximity. And you got a lot of holy sites, right? It's kind of what comes to mind. You got holy sites for Christianity, Judaism, Islam. It's all kind of fighting over the same holy lands, right? So let's start with Jerusalem. Jerusalem would represent the religious Jews, those that don't know, but they should know. If we can put up the slide with Joseph. Joseph, you would likely meet when visiting the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, where religious Jews go to pray or recite the memorized parts of the Old Testament. He'd be rocking back and forth and praying, but his eyes, they're distant. Joseph honestly wants to please God, but has for the last few years felt like all the rituals and reciting, it was empty and not helping him please God. But he doesn't have anyone to tell because he'd be removed as one of his rabbi's favored students, which is bringing his family, especially his father, lots of pride he knows that he should be devout, but he's questioning his devotion. He's hungry for real truth and real devotion. So let's go out a bit and look at Judea, which represents the modern-day secular Jews, so kind of a post-religious secular Jews, those that don't know and they don't want to know. Uriah... Uriah lives in Tel Aviv, and he goes by Uri, which to him sounds a little bit less religious. He's a young entrepreneur with a retro record, record shop. His love of music started the venture, but his shop has drawn misfits and the misunderstood. His shop often smells like weed and has been marked on Google as a favorite stop on the gay pride parade route. His agnostic parents support anything he wants to do as long as he's not mooching off them. Uri is internally confused because he's read enough philosophy and he's smart and honest enough to know that truth has to be exclusive. There's no way that all ways are right. He's interested in religion, but he doesn't want anything to do with Judaism. He wonders what other ways are out there. So let's look at Samaria. Samaria would represent the Muslim Arab, those that don't know because of barriers. Hamza, Hamza loves working at his uncle's falafel stand in Bethlehem, but he hates the 20 minute bicycle ride in the shadow of the 30 foot wall to get there because in a few spots, Jewish kids often throw rocks at him as he passes. At night, Hamza sleeps on a mattress on his flat roof when the weather is nice. He loves counting the stars and he thanks God that he's one 
of Abraham's blessings. He slips out a simple paperback Arabic New Testament that his friend recently gave him. And he cries as he reads it over and over and over. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the religious Jew, the secular Jew, and the Muslim Arab. This is huge, right? We love our coping mechanisms, such as the consecutive approach, where if we can make it a then, then we can control the situation and we can make it smaller, right? I can do this and then this and then the scarier and then the more difficult and then the even more difficult, right? We can, we can understand it in this consecutive nature. But if we open ourselves up to the truth of the situation, it's everyone now. And that can be overwhelming, right? That is huge. How in the world is it going to happen? I mean, spin the globe, everybody, but even in our, our understanding of, of Israel-Palestine, how is that even going to happen? Right? You know, I told you at the beginning about my buddy going into the Holy Spirit experience, right? Coming out, yelling at the top of his lungs, something that I never, ever, ever expected out of his mouth. What just happened in that room, right? It's a Holy Spirit experience. What happened in that room to change that self-centered knucklehead to the everybody has to know and they have to know now. And I'm like, dude, don't drop out of school. Like, just wait a little bit. Like, you, you, got, you got too much fire, okay? Too much fire. You know, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, it will fuel outward kingdom expansion because the Holy Spirit eternally points to King Jesus. It's huge. Thank you, Lord. You know, if, uh, the Allards, are the Allards still in the room? Come on down, guys. We're going we're gonna to head towards it. You know, okay, so how is, how is this going to happen, right? If this is huge, remember Acts 1. The task of Acts 1 is interwoven with the tools of Acts 1. Let's look at two things here. Two things. If you want a coping mechanism of how in the world does this happen? How in the world are we about to reach all of Israel and Palestine? How are we going to continue reaching Sam Houston State? How are we going to reach New Zealand? How are we going to, if it's everybody, if it's all people of all places and all languages and all cultures and all tribes and all, right? If it's all, if we're using all and and, how in the world? One, the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work. I put up here, if you can see it, it says doing the heavy lifting. If you've ever been in a situation where a couple of people are lifting something heavy and you're the person like kind of like got your hand on it slightly and you're like, I, we got this guys, we got this, we got it, right? 
they're allowing you to be a part, right? But they are very much doing the heavy lifting. The Lord allows us to be a part of missions. He allows us the dignity of playing a part in reaching our communities, reaching the people in your small groups, reaching the people in difficult places, reaching unreached people groups. He gives us the dignity to be a part, but we have to be fully cognitive and aware that He is doing the heavy lifting. We got a hand on it, but that's because He's asked us to put a hand on it. The Holy Spirit is doing the heavy lifting. That's one. Two, if we think about Israel, it's a place robust with holy sites, begging pilgrimage, but also conflict that comes with that. Dome of the Rock, Wailing Wall, places that we go to, to fill up our holy tanks. Okay? You know, we, we were recently in uh, Jerusalem for a little bit this summer. We were, had the privilege of going to the, the, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. If you don't know what that is, it's, you know, there it's the, the slab on which the, Jesus' body was laid in the tomb. And so, you know, of course, of course, being in that moment, it's a big deal. Our hearts are full, they're worshipful. But then I noticed that some people are walking in with kind of bags of goodies. And I don't know what they are, if they get them at a souvenir shop or if they brought them all the way from their home, wherever, wherever they came from, and they're rubbing it on the stone and then putting it back in their bag and then they get to take it home. Like they fill up some sort of holy, holiness mojo and then they get to kind of like have it like a holy candle in their house. I don't know how it works. It's not, it's not my, I didn't understand it because to me, I was, com- I was confused And you think about these holy sites and the pilgrimage that it takes to get there and the idea of some absorbing some sort of holiness from from a place, right? Because that's, we, we know, we have the conviction that holiness is not a place. Holiness is a person. It's not a destination, it's a disposition. So I have two questions that I would love to give you. Two questions that help recalibrate. And if you, if I, if we can answer these questions honestly before the Lord, then maybe we can know that our head and our hearts, our souls are in a good space. These two questions. Where are you holy? And where are you home? So where are you holy? Woods, mountaintops, prayer closet. Where do you outsource your holiness? Thursday nights, Sunday mornings, shelf of good books. What is the source? Where do you go? Where are you holy? And where are you home? You know, we do a lot of traveling. It's part of the gig. And if I do enough traveling consecutively, I get to a point where you can imagine, I just want my own bed, right? I just, I've been away for too long. I just want my own bed. There's, there's usually a place in the house that feels even more like home than the building itself. In this season, our age and stage, home to me feels like 
early mornings, coffee with my wife, or you know, staying up late and having a movie night with my kids. The idea of home is so radically and wildly and wonderfully unique, right? Many of you are probably in a season where if I ask where are you home, you're like, ah, I don't know, my dorm or my mom's house or my dad, I don't, you know, like you're in this transition of life where it's like, it, it kind of feels strange, right? Because the idea of home is so unique. We can look similar, you know, some of our answers when we say, where are you home? They can look similar, but they'll never be the same. Because for you, it is very different, very unique to where you feel at rest and at home. So where are you holy and where are you home? If you can ask yourself these recalibrating questions, and if, in all honesty, if you can answer, if I can answer, these two questions with the same answer in the presence of Jesus. If we're not running any other place for our holiness, if we're not filling up our tanks and trinkets and filling up our schedules with any other thing besides Jesus, then we're doing okay. If our citizenship is in heaven, maybe our accent people should recognize. We should find that rest, the feeling that you feel when you think of home, that should be the presence of Jesus. Where are you holy? And where are you home? You know, missions, missions is not about people. Missions is not about going to difficult places to reach people. Missions is about a person. God is not calling you to a difficult place. He's not calling you to an unreached people group. God is not calling you to Israel. God is not calling you to New Zealand. God is not calling you to do ministry. God is not calling you to go. So what is God calling you to? If you and I read in the same Bible, my Bible says that the only thing we're called to is Jesus. I've never read, go and meet me there. It's always come and follow me. You know, this Jesus, he's standing there giving us this last line. This, Judea, this, this Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. He's given us the last line of the season finale. He's only able to give this little tribe of knuckleheads this last line because all of them heard the first line. Come and follow me. If you haven't answered that first invitation, come and follow me, that is always available. That is always available. Ask your small group leader, ask your friend. That invitation, come and follow me, is always, always available. If you have answered that, 
you have answered, come and follow me, then what's he asking you to do? You guys staying with me? When I pray, we're going to open the altars. Josh is going to lead us in a time to just be in the presence of Jesus. You know, our family, we were on a CP team in Iraq, and of course now we're heading to serve on li with Live Dead Origins, planting the church across all of Israel-Palestine. We're literally ministering in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, right? Incredible thing. We'd love to give you a prayer card. You know, we say if, if you're praying with us, then you're going with us. And we mean that. You know, we get to some little old church and some little old ladies like, I'll pray for you, it's the least I can do. That, that's cute and sweet, but it's theologically incorrect because prayer is the most you can do. So you pray for our family, you're going with us, okay? Some of you, you might actually go with us. But maybe that's a little bit further down the line, okay? So what does that mean right now? What does it mean right now? Because if we think about it, in the Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, if you had to choose, where are you? You are in the ends of the earth, okay? We love to kind of flip it and the ends of the earth are somewhere else. But if we think of this contextually, we are now standing in the ends of the earth. You, if we imagine what the gospel from hand to hand, from heart to heart, from person to person, from generation to generation, through time and anything we've read in the history books, right? Across the ocean, across time, and to end up being placed in your hands, will it end with you? We'd love it if you'd consider coming and joining. But getting on a plane, it changes where you are, not who you are. So where are you holy? And where are you home? You spend enough time with Jesus and the people in your life might start considering you a holy site. Do people pilgrimage across campus to come to your small group to be in your presence because you've been in His presence? So let's spend a little bit of time in full honesty before the Lord. Where am I holy? And where am I home? Jesus, we thank You, Lord. We thank You, Lord, for every step, every season, every stone. Help us, Lord, to follow You well. Help us, Lord, to, to realign our hearts to be home in You. Help us, Lord, to recalibrate our minds to be holy in You. Help us, Lord Jesus. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy of every single person in this room's every single minute of their life, every single decision, 
We thank you, Lord, for the story that you are writing in each of their lives and how they're weaving together in this community, how you are making newness. You are, you are giving new life. You are restoring and saving, rescuing and restoring. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing now. And we thank you in advance for what you will do in each of these lives. We thank you, Lord, for what the future holds of opportunity, of giving of self and of laying down of self. We thank you, Lord, that all of it is the dignity that you give us to be a part. We thank you, Lord, that this is your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us. Help us realign our hearts. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us, Jesus, that we can see ourselves in full honesty and you can point and poke and prod at our motives and you can make us new every day. Help us, Lord, to see you rightly, to see ourselves rightly. You are worthy, Jesus. You are worthy to be called our home. You are worthy to be called the source of our holiness. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Um, so as we were singing um, and just meeting with God um, and singing the song that I'll go anywhere, send me God, um, God was speaking to me and asked me to share this with the crowd. Um, oftentimes when we, we hear that, we, we are stirred in our hearts and we understand that there is a need somewhere. Um, but oftentimes, whenever we look in the mirror after hearing that need, we go, well, God, I'm not qualified for where you're calling me to go. Or I, I, I know there's a need, but God, there's more people who can do this more effectively than I ever could. So don't choose me, God. Choose somebody else. But there's a saying that I've heard so many times, and I've seen him do it in my life, that God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the call. Yeah. And I wanted to just say that to everybody. God wants to speak that to us because there are people in this room right now who are hearing this message, who are wrestling in their hearts and understanding that God is calling them somewhere, but are going, no, God, I'm not qualified for this. But just as Will said, the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing the heavy lifting here. Yeah. We are being invited by God to go on a mission to see sisters and brothers all across the world come to him. And if he did it for us, he wants to do it for them. And so all we have to do is simply say yes and follow him. That, that, that's all he's asking us to do. And whether that yes might mean, you know, going overseas, or whether the yes could just simply be picking up your cross on a daily basis and following him. It looks different across the board at different times, right? But it's understanding that when he calls us, he gives us the tools necessary to complete the job. He goes before us, around us, behind us. He takes care of all the needs, brings all the provision. So I just wanted to say that to us in case anyone here is questioning God, why are you calling me? I'm sure Peter said the same thing multiple times in his mind. God, why me? I'm the least qualified person to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. But with Christ, all things are possible. Yeah. Father, we're just so grateful for this opportunity to be in your presence. God, we, we've, we've been hearing about missions, Father. We've been hearing about what it means to get closer to your heart, to understand, 
Father God, your real worth, that you're the treasure in the field. God, I, I pray against our preferences and us standing here right now, looking in the mirror, saying, God, we are not worthy or are qualified, Father, to, to, to go where you're calling us to go. That is uh, the enemy coming in, Father God, trying to distort the calling that you're placing in front of us. And Father, I pray that we would put our strength, our trust in you and realize, Father God, that when you call us, you don't call us and abandon us, Father God, but you call us and you walk with us each step of the way, Father God, that you don't leave us, Father God, you don't toy our emotions, Father God, you don't show us these grand schemes and then leave, Father God, you're not a deadbeat dad, you're not a deadbeat father, you're not a deadbeat king, Father, you're a good king, you're a good father, you've never left us, even when we leave you, Father God, you're still there. So, Father, I pray for our hearts, God, will we hear this call, will be accepted, and will we all know that there's a part for us to play, Father God, whether that's going in the physical or going in the spiritual, Father God, that you've called us, Father God, and you're qualifying us each and every step. You say, Father God, that you will complete the work that you're starting in us. Will we hold steadfast to that truth, Father God, each and every day? We love you, Jesus. We pray over our friends overseas, Father God. We, we pray for their for the mission that you put in front of them, Father God. Would you give them strength each and every day? Would you give us strength now, Father? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jamar. Where is your home and where are you most holy? Jesus, the presence of Jesus is the answer, right?